thank you, Pastor Brian. Um, as Pastor Brian mentioned today, we are uh, continuing our sermon series on living by faith, and we're going to wrap that up today. We've been hearing the stories of the ancients in the Old Testament as documented in the book of Hebrews. And if you're not familiar with Hebrews uh, and where it's located, it's in the second half of the New Testament, wedged between Philemon and James. So if that helps you find it, then that's great. But otherwise, we're going to have the scripture up on the board here for you. And um, if you've missed any of these sermons over the past couple of weeks, they're all up on our website. In, in video and audio form, and we encourage you to, uh, to go visit the website and, and play those. But we're going to give a little recap of where we've been so far over the last couple of weeks to, uh, to bring everybody up to speed. So we started in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which provides us for a definition of our faith. And that's up on the screen. And that definition is that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not C. That turns into a little formula that Pastor Brian provided for us about hope and confidence equaling faith. And we've been talking about that over these last couple of weeks. And the message is that faith is so much more than simply just hoping for something. We can hope for something, but if we don't have any conviction behind that, that's all it is, is hope or a dream. There's no faith, right? This is Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. I can hope that I don't dry out our turkey on Thanksgiving Day. But my historical record on that is about 50-50. So my faith is not that good, right? I can hope that the state of Illinois will get its act together and balance its budget. Or that our president will start being nicer to people. But... I don't have a lot of confidence in either of those, right? The record is cast. And so based on the historical record, it's more hope than faith. So I don't necessarily have any belief that those things are going to happen. So verse 2 then in Hebrews tells us that this is what the ancients were commended for, was their faith. Not their hope, but their faith. And in the subsequent verses of Hebrews, we heard about a number of the people in the Old Testament who lived out their faith in a variety of ways, right? And if you can remember, we started with Abraham. We started hearing about how Abraham and God made a covenant with Abraham that he would become a great nation. And this in and of itself was an incredibly bold statement. Abraham was 75 years old at the time, and he had no children. His wife Sarah was 65 years old at the time. So completely childless, and at 75 years old and 65 years old respectively, they packed up and left their city and moved to the area of Canaan, just simply based on what God had asked them to do. Sometime later, 25 years later to be exact, when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was now 90 years old, she gave birth to her first son, and they named him Isaac. And then sometime later, Abraham was tested further and demonstrated his faith to God by actually offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. That takes us through Abraham. We then heard about Jacob and Esau. We heard how Isaac, Abraham's son, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Isaac had blessed both of them with regards to their futures. 
After Jacob wrestles with God, we hear how he is named Israel by God because it means he wrestled with God. And later, Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons. The youngest of Jacob's 12 sons is Joseph. And in the third week of our sermon series, we learned about Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by his brothers. But through his faith, he became the second most powerful man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And ultimately, through that position, he brought his family, all of his brothers and his father, at that time, the entire tribe of Israel into Egypt. And then finally, last week, we heard the story of Moses. We heard the story of Moses and how by his parents' faith, they demonstrated their faith by hiding him for three months from Pharaoh's decree to kill all the newborn children. How his parents put him in a basket in the Nile River and sent him downstream. And how as an adult, Moses led his people by faith out of Egypt, across the Red Sea on dry land, into the wilderness, and ultimately right up to the edge of the promised land. And today, in Hebrews 11, chapter 30, we hear one more verse. That by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And so we're going to spend some time today now moving on from Moses and all those that came before him and unpacking the story of Joshua and how God provided um, Joshua with great faith and how Joshua's faith provides a model for how we live our faith as well. Let's start with a quick prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for a beautiful day, and we pray that, dear Lord, the words that I am about to speak and the meditations on all of our hearts will be true to your word and will bring honor and glory to you and help us develop a greater understanding of you and your will for our lives. Amen. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Joshua, his story is told in the book of Joshua. Great. Yes. Very good. So you know more about Joshua than you thought. Moses had previously led the Israelites right up to the edge of the promised land on the river Jordan. But he was not allowed to pass over into the promised land. And so he died there in the land of Moab, and God buried him in an unknown location. So Joshua picks up right there at the beginning of Joshua. I'm going to read the first couple verses of Joshua. And it starts out this way. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. You do it. Moses is dead. You do it. Can you imagine what Joshua would be feeling in that moment? 40 plus years in the making, wandering across the wilderness, 40 years walking at Moses' side while he performed great miracles and demonstrated his faith, and he led the people. And now suddenly, it's time to cross the finish line, and God passes the baton off to him. What would you do? How would you feel in that moment 
when God suddenly passes the baton on to you. It says you now are in charge. But Joshua has been witnessing God's faithfulness for over 40 years, wandering through the desertness, right? The plagues of Egypt leading to the first Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, manna coming down from heaven, water coming out of rocks. The list goes on and on. He has a long established history of watching God's faithfulness. And so by the time Moses dies, Joshua has great confidence, not just hope, but confidence that God will keep his promises. And God goes on to assure him in verse 5 that he says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Joshua has God's promise that he will be with them and will not forsake them. So the Israelites cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. And God once again demonstrates his awesome power and miraculous power by stopping the water of the Jordan River in its tracks so the Israelites could cross on dry land. We often forget that, right? We know that Moses parted the Red, or Moses parted the Red Sea. We don't often remember that um, uh, as the Israelites crossed over into Canaan, that God also stopped up the river of the Jordan so they could once again walk on dry land. So once they are in the, the Canaan area, they've crossed over the river Jordan, the first obstacle they reach there is the city of Jericho. And we've got a picture of Jericho up here on the board. Jericho was a walled city. It was actually a double-walled city. And it was considered at that time to be unconquerable. We've got, you can see how big it is, and you can see there's two walls in there, and we've got another picture of the wall. Um, Debbie, if you can put that up there. So you can see that it's got, it's got two walls. The outer wall was six feet thick and about 20 plus feet high. And then the inner wall was even thicker than that and taller than that. Impregnable. These little people down here that look like ants are actually people. They would represent the Israelites standing outside this wall. This wall is not going anywhere, folks, and this city is not going to be taken over. In ancient times, you would assault a city like this either by pounding right into the wall or tunneling under it or building a huge ramp of dirt to go up on the outside of the wall so that you could walk up onto it. That's how you would attack a city like this. It would take months, and you would suffer heavy losses in the process. And so um, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. But God sends a messenger to Joshua. And that messenger tells Joshua this. If I could find it. Okay. The messenger says this. Here's how we're going to take care of the wall. March around the city once with all of your armed men. Do this for six days. Then have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. 
And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. That's how you're going to conquer the city. Right. Right? You believe that? Would Joshua believe that? Can you imagine what Joshua would be feeling in that moment? When I heard this story as a child, I thought, well, that's really awesome. They don't have to do anything. They're just going to sit out there and walk around. The the walls are going to collapse. They're going to march right in and take it over. But think about it from the adult perspective. Joshua is a commander of 40,000 troops. He's got them all there. They're ready to attack the city. And God says, no, no, no. We're going to just walk around here, and then the walls are going to fall. We're going to march around it six times in six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. And then we're all going to yell, "Ali, ali, oxen free, and the walls are going to come down. That's what's going to happen. So let's assume Joshua finally comes to terms with that, which he absolutely did. Then he gets the fun job of telling his 40,000 troops that that's what they're going to do. And their response is, right, that's what we're going to do. But by faith, that is exactly what they did. For six days, they march around that city, one time for each day. On the seventh day, they march around it seven times. And on the seventh time, they blow a loud blast on the trumpets. They all shout, and the walls fall down. And archaeological digs show us, Debbie, can you put the other slide up, the the one before? The archaeological digs show that the walls actually fell outward. And they made a ramp for the Israelites to walk right up into the city. The very thing that would have taken weeks, God did in days. That's the story of the Battle of Jericho. So here are a few takeaways from Joshua's life and the story of the Battle of Jericho to encourage each of us on how we want to live by faith. The first takeaway is that God will fight our battles for us as long as we are fighting God's battles. So many times we try to fight our own battles and God will not necessarily fight those battles for us. The walls of Jericho fell and the Israelites were given an easy victory because God willed it to be so. But the Israelites had found themselves in this position before 40 years earlier. God had led them to the promised land right away and they spied it out and they were afraid to cross over. And because of their lack of faith, God said, you will wander in this wilderness for 40 years before you get another chance to come back over. And hearing that, they were very distraught and they had second thoughts and they said, well, okay, no, we take it back. We'll go ahead and go. But they were easily defeated by the Canaanites and the Amalekites because God was not with them at that time. God had already decided that they would march around the wilderness. And because of that, they failed. So in the same way, also, we 
can count on miraculous things from God happening in our lives when we are following the path that he puts before us. We may still find some measure of success if we go on it on our own, but we know we can count on God if he um, provides his will for us and we decide to actively seek it and follow it. We can count on his faithfulness. The second thing that we want to remember about this story and all the stories that we've heard over the last several weeks is that we can have faith in God because God is always faithful to fulfill his promises. When God makes a promise, that is just set. It's been over 500 years at this point since God made a promise to Abraham that he would become a great nation. 500 years. But it happened. It took 500 years. But during this time, he repeatedly performed miracles that helped his people and demonstrated his divine power. In Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 26, God commanded Moses to perform a census right before the people crossed over into Israel or into um, Canaan. And the number of people that were counted was over 600,000. That's just men over the age of 20. That's all they counted was they wanted to know the people that would be available for battle. That didn't include the women and the children. That didn't include the Levites who were set aside to be the priesthood of Israel. 600,000. So the actual number of people could be double or triple that amount. Over a million people. Maybe even pushing two million people. So truly, Israel had become a great nation. And God had fulfilled his promise to Abraham, just as he had said. Now, the fact that God will always fulfill his promises and be faithful to us doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. Nor will they um, seem like they make sense from time to time. Sometimes our sinfulness gets in the way. And sometimes God will put our faith to the test. Sometimes we will walk in the wilderness Sometimes God will have us do things that we don't understand. God could have made that wall of Jericho fall by snapping his fingers. He didn't have to make the people of Israel walk around the city for seven days. But he wanted to make sure that they would follow his instructions, even when they didn't make any sense. He wanted to test their faith on purpose. And in the same time, there will be times in our lives when it just doesn't seem like they make any sense. Right? Maybe we are going through problems at work or having problems with money or we've suffered an injury or an illness or we're having relationship problems. All these times are things that our lives just don't seem to make any sense. These aren't necessarily brought on by God to test us but they are certainly times when we can lean on God and trust in his support. We have to know and trust that in all things will ultimately work out for his good purpose. So think of all the times in your life where God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. You look back on the winding roads of your life, all the doors that opened and all the doors that closed, Some of them are lonely and scary times. Some of them are very happy times. 
Some of them are times when in the moment we really don't see God in the picture and we think that we are very much alone. But God is always there. When you look back on that historically, it usually is a lot easier to see God was there and God was in the moment and God was in the picture. But if we can picture God in the moment and realize that He is all there, all the happy coincidences that we have enjoyed and even the dark times when we can become much easier to live our lives when we see His presence and His purpose and His faithfulness in our lives. We can have faith in God because God is always faithful to us. Even when it takes longer than we think it should and even when things happen differently than we think they should. God is God, and we are not. The third thing that we want to take out of the story of Joshua is that we are called to pass our faith on to other people. Joshua was ready to lead the people across the Jordan River when the moment came because Moses had been pouring into Joshua for the 40 years that they had been wandering through the wilderness. He'd been pouring into Joshua and helping him develop his faith. And Joshua had been intentional about developing and growing his faith in that process as well. Similarly, we are called to be intentional about growing in our faith and sharing our faith with others. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, it states this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." So just as Moses prepared Joshua to do his ministry, let's fast forward to where we are today. Just as Moses prepared Joshua for his ministry, Pastor Brian's job is to prepare us for whatever ministry God has called us to do. Our jobs then are to pour our faith into other people to help prepare them for whatever ministry God will ultimately call them to do. That's what it means in our mission statement when we say, growing disciples who grow disciples. It's not pastor's job to do ministry. It's not pastor's job to come up here and entertain us on Sunday morning. It's his job to prepare us to do the ministry, to pass faith into us so that we can pass it on to others. Faith Ruthen Church was formed in response to a call from God to pass our faith on to other people. The church was named Faith Lutheran Church for two reasons, two that I'm aware of. One is that the faith of the group of people starting this church compelled them to do it in response to God's call. And two, not a single person in that group had the slightest clue what they were doing. And so they had to step out on faith 
in order to do it. They didn't know what they were doing. All they had was faith, and God handled the rest. Now, shortly after the church was formed, we were very blessed to be able to call a very smart preacher who preached very good sermons. And we thought, hallelujah, we're done. <laughs> right? He started a church, called a pastor. He's smart. He's preaching good sermons. Checkout time. But the really smart pastor who preaches really good sermons helped us discern what God's real call was for us. God was not just calling us to plant a church. God was calling us to plant a church that would grow disciples who would keep planting more churches. In fact, we have been called to plant a thousand churches in the next 40 years. One thousand. Right. Right? We just planted this church and now you're telling us we need to plant a thousand more churches? How many people are excited to hear that? <laughs> yeah, don't raise your hands. You don't want to lie in church. <laughs> I wasn't excited to hear that. And I was one of the people in the room talking about it at the time. In fact, I was the scribe in the meeting when we were talking about our mission and vision statement. I was the one responsible for writing it all down. And at some point in the meeting, you're like, yeah, whatever, it's late, it's been a long day, and let's just type this in here so we can all go home, right? Not very exciting. I mean, I'd be more than excited at the idea of planting a thousand churches as long as someone else is doing the planting, <laughs> right? I don't want to do it. I want someone else to do it. But this is what the first century church was called to be. This is what Jesus called the first century church to do. And now Jesus once again is calling us to get back to basics and do it again. And here is why. There's a recent study that was just released by Pew Research Foundation. And it indicates that the percentage of people in this country who identify as Christian has fallen from 77% to 65% in the last decade. So that's a fall of 12% in 10 years. And the information in that survey is even a little more frightening because what it tells us also in the conference call after the numbers where they talk about it all is that the reason why it falls so quickly is that there's very solid evidence that even those who still call themselves Christians aren't really even Christ followers. They just grew up in a Christian household and they really don't know what else to call themselves when they're surveyed about what their faith is. So instead of saying, I'm nothing, they just say, well, I'm Christian because that's how I was raised. But we know that even that 65% is... Um, the number's probably a lot lower than that because those that are calling themselves Christians really aren't true disciples or followers. And mainline denominational churches are seeing an even greater decline. And many of the mainline denominations are acknowledging that they may even actually cease to exist within 30 years. Okay, their membership and their church attendance is just falling so rapidly. So God is calling us to plant new churches because that is the way that you reach unchurched people. Okay? Now the great news, in spite of the fact that we don't want to do this and we want someone else to do it, is that we've done it. 
Next week, in Atlanta, Georgia, St. Martin Lutheran Church will begin worshiping next Sunday morning. Yeah, come on! We've heard this three weeks in a row. First week, we got nothing. Second week, we got a golf clap. Third week, we got this. That's very exciting. Okay, a thousand churches, how are we going to do that? Don't know. By the end of the first year, we got one. That's great. We got 999 more to go. Okay? But do we believe that we're called to do it? Yes. Do we believe that we can do it with God's help? Yes. yes. So when we do it, celebrate it. It's a wonderful thing. It's what God has called us to do. So yes, the wall fell down. The first church is planted. 999 more to go. So how do we do those? Don't have a clue. We don't know. We don't know how they're going to get planted. And society doesn't seem to be all that interested in Jesus anymore, does it? So we've got some headwinds. We've got some things marching against us. But our faith calls us to stand up for God when no one else will. That is what our faith calls us to do. And when we do that, God will bless us in ways that we cannot foresee and bless us in ways that will last for generations to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. We give you thanks, dear Lord, for the story of all the ancients in the Bible who have just demonstrated tremendous and amazing faith. Dear Lord, we thank you today for the person of Joshua, a person who took the baton when you handed it to him, who went off and did amazing things through your power, a person who gives us lessons for the way that we need to live our lives as well. Dear Lord, we pray that you will help us to step out in faith that you will help us to continue to believe that you can do all things. We pray that you will help us to believe, Lord, that you will fight our battles for us. If we commit to fight the battles, you would have us fight. We pray, dear Lord, that you will help us to remember that you are always faithful, that you are God and that we are not. And we pray, dear Lord, that you will help us answer the call that you have put before us to grow disciples who grow disciples and to plant churches who grow disciples that plant churches. Dear Lord, your son Jesus prayed an incredible price for us. We pray that you will be with us as we pay a very small price for him. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.